And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, Pastor Elliot preaches Christ's crucifixion from John chapter 19, beginning at verse 17. In today's verses, we'll see that Pilate feared. Feared too much. And we'll also see that the Roman soldiers knew too much. And now with his message for today is Pastor Robert Elliott. You see, when the Jews were able to link the crucifixion order for Jesus with Pilate's loyalty to Caesar, they succeeded in getting Pilate to sentence an innocent man to death. And so the first point in our outlines this morning is this, Pilate feared too much to act on his beliefs. Pilate feared too much to act on his beliefs. You see, Pilate had already experienced significant political and religious problems governing the province of Judea for the Roman Caesar. Pilate had outraged the Jews by sending soldiers into Jerusalem carrying military standards which bore emblems that the Jews viewed as idolatrous. Pilate had also enraged the Jews by using the money that they had contributed to their temple treasury to finance the construction of a Roman aqueduct to pipe water into Jerusalem. In both of these cases, the Jews vigorously stood up to Pilate and he had to calm them. He had to calm them using military force. And in one case, that military force had left Jews dead. Oh, Judea was such a little problem for Pilate. It affected his retirement plan and his career path. And he was unsettled when the mob cried for the innocent man's crucifixion. He was very intimidated. He couldn't stand to have another disruption come across Caesar's desk from Judea. And so in light of all this, he was not anxious for any other run-ins that were of an embarrassing nature with the Jews. And so when the Jews called Pilate's loyalty to Caesar into question, if he didn't sentence this man named Jesus to death, Pilate feared being convicted of treason. And I suppose from a human point of view, that fear was uh, well-grounded. You see, if a charge of treason would have stuck on Pilate, he could have expected some pretty grim personal consequences. He would have been removed from office. He would have had all of his property confiscated. He would have been tortured. And he may even have been executed. And so it was Pilate's great fear that caused him not to act on his belief that Jesus was totally innocent. Like Pilate, I think if we are honest, our fear can prevent us from acting on our beliefs about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if Pilate teaches us the first lesson in our outlines this morning, then the Roman soldiers under his charge and command teach us the second point. The soldiers of Rome who executed our Lord and Savior on that cross have the second lesson for us this morning, and it is this. The Roman soldiers knew too much to be moved by Christ's sufferings. These soldiers, these mercenaries, these executioners knew too much about crucifixion to be moved by the Lord of life's 
sufferings on the cross. Crucifixions were altogether too common in Jesus' day. Romans executed hundreds and hundreds and thousands of convicted criminals by crucifixion, a heinous form of the death penalty that they invented. Four Roman soldiers were to assign to each cross. Four Roman soldiers supervised by one centurion were assigned by Rome to every single cross that was erected where a person was executed. And often the victim's death took two or three days. So these men would commonly take food and drink and they would go to the execution site and they would watch and they would wait and they would sneer. It was typical for the executioners to claim the personal effects of their victim. All our Lord had were five pieces of clothing. Four of these pieces were virtually of equal value. His head covering, his belt, his sandals, and his outer garments. One of those outer garments was a large square piece of cloth with fringes on its edges. And the four soldiers assigned to Jesus Christ's cross claimed a piece of clothing each. But when they came to the fifth piece of clothing, a seamless tunic, they cast lots for it. This was because this seamless tunic would have been worth the most of all of Jesus' clothing and belongings. It would have been a full-length tunic from shoulder to the ankles, and it would have been long-sleeved. Verses 23 and 24 of chapter 19 read, The soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. They said, therefore, to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Remarkably, Psalm 22, verse 18, which is written approximately 1,000 years before Jesus Christ's crucifixion, Psalm 22, verse 18 predicted that Messiah's outer garments would be divided among his enemies. It also predicted that lots would be cast for Messiah's clothing. Listen to Psalm 22, verse 18. Quote, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. End of quote. Let's skip down in our passage to verses 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Here we see that the soldiers shared some of their personal supply of cheap vinegar wine when Jesus indicated from the cross that he was thirsty. And they did so by placing a sponge on the end of a thistle plant reed. Most likely, the average hyssop branch would have been two to three feet in length at the most. This tells us by inference that Jesus Christ's cross must not have been that high off of the ground. And when Jesus said, I thirst, they offered him their vinegar wine. And without knowing it, they fulfilled the biblical predictions which were made centuries before Jesus' life. For in Psalm 62, verse 21, it says, They also gave me gall for my food, 
and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. God's word is intricate and detailed truth. There is no detail in Scripture, Old or New Testament, that is insignificant. Skipping down to verses 31 to 34 of our passage, we see other ways that these calloused Roman soldiers had become oblivious to the pain of the victim, in this case, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the day of preparation so that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. The soldiers back then would take a heavy mallet and would break the prisoner's legs with a blow from that mallet. And this was done to hasten death for broken legs which would prevent a crucified man from pushing up on his feet to try to fill his lungs with air. You see, you died by suffocation by crucifixion. And if they didn't break prisoners' legs to make it so painful that they could push off their feet and get off the seat of the cross to try to catch their breath, they would also light bonfires at the foot of crosses so that the smoke of the bonfires would hasten suffocation. That's how they did it normally. But that's not how they did it for our Savior. Verses 32 and 33, please. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other man who was crucified with him, but coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. The fact, of course, that these soldiers did not break Jesus' legs is extremely significant. As verse 36 points out, for these things came to pass that the scripture might be fulfilled, not a bone of him shall be broken. Not a bone of Messiah shall be broken, the psalmist predicted. This fulfilled Psalm 3420's prediction about the Messiah. You see, Jesus Christ was the perfect Passover lamb, the lamb that did away with the need for any other Passover lambs, the lamb of God to which all the other Passover lambs and animal blood sacrifices of the Old Testament looked. He fulfilled the animal sacrificial system by being the lamb of God. And as the perfect and ultimate consummate Passover lamb, he could not have a broken bone. Because when God instituted the Passover in Egypt, he made it very clear that the lamb must be perfect, without mar, blemish, broken bone. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas here at Calvary Bible Church. I am the youth pastor here, and I just want to say it's great to have you listen again to Youth Talk. And this morning, we want to close our series on what we have been looking at, different questions to ask ourselves as we use different social media platforms. Last week, we looked at two questions, and we talked about, do you use social media to boost your ego? And we looked at Mark 8.36 and said, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Again, this verse is saying that we have all the likes and retweets. What does that really matter if we don't have the approval of God? The, the second question we looked at last week was, do you use social media to hide? Again, we, we, could, we could put on our front, we could put on a face for people to see on social media, but in reality, there are things going on in our lives that, that we don't want people to see. 
You can even use different um, profile pictures that even aren't yours. But we don't want to hide because in James 4, 10, it says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. He is the one who needs to boost our egos, not what we see around us. So this morning we want to look at one question and then we want to just sum up what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. And the question is this, what would you do if God was sitting next to you? What would you do if God was sitting next to you? The reality of this question is God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere. So we know that we can never hide, we can never run from him. He is always there. Anything, we can't hide anything from God. So when we think of this question and what we post should always bring honor and glory to God. In the 1990s, we used to have this acronym WWJD. And it said this, what would Jesus do? You may be listening to this broadcast and you may have had one of the bracelets growing up. And I think that if we went through this and we thought to ourselves, not just as a wearing a bracelet to wear it, but if we ask ourselves that question as we go through things in life, what would Jesus do? I think our world would be a different place, especially when we consider our social media platforms. When we consider what we tweet, when we consider what we um, put on Facebook and Instagram, the pictures that we put on there, we would, we would really look at ourselves and we would really filter what we put on these different social media platforms. And this is the question that we can ask ourselves again as we, we look at social media because as a believer, we are to imitate Christ. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of Christ. Understand that this morning that we are to imitate Christ in everything that we do, in love. In everything that we do, we are to show Christ. The question is this, is this what we are doing on our social media? Or are we doing the complete opposite? Again, as we looked at last week, we cannot hide anything from God because He is always there and He sees everything that we post and share. You know, when we sit and as we started this series, we talked a little bit about what is the whole purpose of social media? Why do we have social media accounts? Why do we have Instagram and Facebook and Twitter? And as I said at the beginning, in everything that we do, we ought to bring honor and glory to God. And let me just say this, and I'm going to be transparent this morning as we close this series. I just want you to know that this has been a challenging thing for me to think about in my own life. Because I think too many times it's easy to say these things, but when we really understand what we're saying and we have to look at our own lives, myself included, I know that I waste a lot of time on different social media platforms. Colossians 3.16-17 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, and I'm going to put in there on social media, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Again, we are reminded that in whatever we do, we are to bring honor and glory to God. With our words, with our speech, with what we post, we are to bring honor and glory to God. So I challenge you as we have been through this series, as we have talked about social media and the platforms that we use, are you bringing honor and glory to God? Are people seeing Christ in you? Are people seeing Christ in the things that you post or you share, the pictures you put online? Are people seeing Christ? Or are they seeing the complete opposite? Are they seeing a person that would push them away from Christ. You see, we are all caught up in different things where we can post this great scripture reference and the next thing our post is, you know, putting someone down. Again, as we think of this, this verse, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let psalms and hymns and spiritual song be what people see in your life. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, whatever we do, we ought to bring honor and glory to God. And I would challenge you, if you have any other questions about this series or if you would like to hear anything more, you can find our Facebook page, Calvary Bible Church, or you can look at calvarybiblechurch.org.bs and the media, and we have these different echoes of Calvary on there. And I would challenge you as, you as you think of social media and you think about going throughout this world, that you would be a light that shines bright. Because this is what the country of the Bahamas needs. We need people to take a stand for what, are, what is right. We need people to take a stand for, for Christ in everything that we do. Whether you're at work, whether you're at play, whether you're at school, whatever you are doing, do it to bring honor and glory to God. Again, this is Pastor Nicholas, and I want to thank you for listening. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, I'm here this morning with my friend Dale Losh, who's serving as president of Crossworld Mission. Good morning, Dale. Good morning, Rob. Good to have you here. Tell us a bit about Crossworld Mission. What do you stand for, your philosophy? Uh, Crossworld is a global disciple-making ministry uh, that um, has been committed for... Uh, the 80-some years of our existence to establishing communities of faith around the world, particularly in uh, least-reached marketplaces. So we send disciple-makers, uh, both from uh, what would be considered traditional vocational missionary profession, as well as non-traditional, what we call marketplace professions. And so we send disciple-makers from all professions uh, to bring God's love to life in the world's least-reached marketplaces. Wonderful. What's your What's your website? Uh, our website is uh, www.crossworld.org, uh, and there's lots of uh, neat stuff on there that you can read to find out about what we do and where we work. I agree with that, Dale. I've checked that site out. It's very informative, and it's well done. So when you talk about marketplaces, uh, what does that mean? Well, we, uh, a few years ago, um, felt like we needed to refocus ourselves on doing what Jesus has told us to do, uh, sort of putting first things first, which is uh, to make disciples who make disciples, yes. and to engage the whole body of Christ in that mandate. And, and we felt like for um, a long time, we and many other um, organizations like ours had uh, sort of marginalized the body of a vast majority of the body of Christ by saying, well, if you want to be engaged in missions, you can stay home and you can send your money and you can pray. But if you want to be a real missionary, you have to become like one of us and, and, and be a full-time vocational missionary. Mm -hmm. And so when we, when we talk about marketplace and marketplace uh, ministers, uh, we talk about where uh, 99. 8% of people spend their lives, the majority of their lives, and that is in the marketplaces of the world. They go to work, they work and rub shoulders with people, uh, and so when we say we send marketplace people, we're sending people who have secular vocations to be part of our disciple-making teams out there in the world where people live and work. 
Wonderful. So I think what you're saying by that, among other things, is that you don't have to go to a Bible college or a seminary or be ordained as a pastor to be effective in fulfilling the Great Commission. Absolutely. Uh, we, um, we believe that we are all called as disciple makers. I think we have for a long time um, used the word missionary and treated uh, those that status of people sort of in in an elite way, as if they are, you know, cut above everybody else. Yes. And uh, I believe the biblical term for what we are called to do is disciple makers. We're called to make disciples who make disciples, and we're all called for that. Yes. And so, disciples a fine word. It's a New Testament word to be sure. But I think uh, maybe a simpler way of saying that is a fully committed follower of Jesus. Would you think that's fair? Yeah. Absolutely. Wonderful. Um, you've mentioned in uh, some of your remarks here at the church yesterday in Sunday school that um, there's a way of looking at the world that partitions off a certain percentage of the world that is in a certain category. And I was wondering if you could restate that for our radio listeners. Sure. Um, well, today about 40% of the world, about 2.8 uh, billion people, um, have never had any exposure to the gospel. They, they haven't met a, an authentic follower of Jesus. They, they don't live near anyone or anywhere that they would be able to easily be exposed to the gospel. And they are what would be considered the least reached people on earth. So about uh, uh, 2.8 uh, billion of these people are, are living in places where they have no easy access to the gospel. Then add to that um, about another 20%, so 60% of the world live in places where you cannot, uh, where we as North Americans cannot get missionary visas anymore. Mm -hmm. So that includes that 40% of least reached people, mm -hmm. uh, and then another 20%. Uh, so 60% of people live in places where if I try to get a visa to go and, and preach the gospel, they would refuse it. Mm -hmm. um, then uh, we also talk about the 84%. 84% uh, of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists, which make up a, a large percentage of the other uh, major religions of the world, 84% of them uh, have never met an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's significant. Uh, so it, huge percentages of uh, the world's population that um, in many ways are cut off from the kind of access to the gospel that we have. Yes, that is a very important thing to come to grips with. And really it's a catalyst or a, um, an impetus for we who are not missionaries traditionally to get in the game, to get involved, to consider whatever God's put into our hands mm -hmm. as something he can use to the winning of lost persons around the world to Christ right. and then to help them follow him. Well, I so appreciate that. That's a very nice insight into cross-world mission. And why don't we um, commit cross-world and missions like it to the Lord in prayer now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is crystal clear that Jesus intends for his church, his body, his bride worldwide to be uh, sharing his message with lost people, seeing them come to saving faith in him, and then helping these people, these precious people, to grow up into Christ, not merely to grow old in Christ in some stuffy religion, but to grow up into the full stature of Christ, to resemble him 
and then to do the same with others, that they will win to Christ and help them to grow up into Christ, and so on and so on and so on. This, Lord, is how you are going to uh, complete the Great Commission. So thank you for the missionaries in Crossworld and other missions that are doing just what we've been talking about. Bless them, uh, protect them, uh, encourage them, and Lord, please give them fruit for their labors, fruit that will last. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. I have a question based on John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, which read, and these are Jesus' words, and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The question is this. Although no one is able to snatch the sheep out of God's hand, can they remove themselves from his protection and care? Can believers become lost, or are they eternally secure? This is a very important question, and many Christians have it. Here's the answer. Jesus uses a double negative in verse 28 to emphasize that his sheep shall never perish. To emphasize further the security of his sheep, he declares, no one shall snatch them out of my hand. The word snatch in Greek is used in John chapter 10, verse 12 of the wolf's attack and suggests an act of aggression or violence. Eternal security rests not on believer's ability to cling, but on Christ's infinite power to keep his own in his hand. The sheep, that is true believers in Jesus, may feel secure because they are secure. Since salvation is God's work, it is not something that people can undo. Other scripture verses offer further evidence of the believer's security in Christ. For instance, number one, the Holy Spirit places believers in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. There is no evidence in scripture that believers are ever removed from the universal body of Christ. Number two, the Holy Spirit seals believers until the day of redemption. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, losing one's salvation would involve breaking God's seal before the day of final redemption. Number three, God has begun a process that leads from predestination to glorification without any possibility for loss. This according to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through verse 30. Number four, no one can charge God's elect with anything that could cause them to lose their salvation. That's the teaching of Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Number five, 
The Lord Jesus continually intercedes for believers. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, 1 John chapter 2 verse 1, and that is sufficient to keep us saved. And sixth, nothing can separate a believer from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 39 teaches that, and we praise the Lord for the security of his salvation of us. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.